Welcome to Fintech Insider Focus in association with Visa. Our once little world of financial services is now a global superstar, and there are people everywhere opening up new markets and discovering new challenges like never before. In this strand of Fintech Insider, we take a burning question from the financial services space across the globe and really put it under the microscope with explainers, expert panels, and in-depth interviews, all to bring the global community into focus. This month, the questions we're getting stuck into are, what are America's VCs looking for in today's market? Let's start by breaking this down. Much like music, cinema, fashion, and food, what America does, the rest of the world pays attention to and tries to imitate. In 2021, the VC market in the US was running red hot. We saw sky-high valuations and mega rounds as VCs looked to double down on the number of digital financial services, which had become an essential part of the new normal. As consumers faced into remote working and different ways of shopping and generally moving their money away from the physical branch network. But while global forces played into this sense of confidence in the VC space, events in the world such as inflation and the growing cost of living have also played a significant factor in the cooling down of the market over the last 12 months. Growth at all costs is no longer the industry mantra, and profitability has become the go-to strategy for fintechs and their backers. But has the US VC industry changed forever? Is this really the end of mega rounds? And are there two little letters, AI, going to spur an absolute resurgence in the market? We'll find out after a quick word from our sponsors at Visa. Visa's FinTech Fast Track program is streamlining the onboarding process for FinTechs, enabling them to gain access to Visa's powerful capabilities and network. Visa and their enablement partners help FinTechs launch and scale cards, virtual credentials, and disbursement programs. To learn more, visit partner.visa.com. Welcome back to FinTech Insider Focus. It is time to bring our panel of experts to really dig into the question, what are America's VCs looking for in today's market? First off, uh, we have my FinTech Insider Focus co-host for this month's episodes, David Rolf, head of Visa Ventures. How's it going, David? Great to have you on the show. Very well, David. Great to be here. Uh, tell everybody a little bit more about what your role over Visa is. Yeah, sure. So I lead the Visa Ventures investing team. Uh, we're part of the company Visa, and so we're not a typical uh, VC. So we don't raise external capital, we invest the visa's capital. And we do that not because we're purely chasing financial return or the most amazing companies, but when we find a terrific company that can be a valuable commercial or strategic partner for visa, that's when we think about making an equity investment. So if you think what that might look like, right, you go back to Square in 2011 or Stripe in 2015, they were doing innovative work to expand digital payments. And we invested in them when we did our commercial deals. And we've, you know, we're quite active. We do about sort of 10 to 12 new investments a year. Um, companies like Sardine recently, who's doing innovative work around removing fraud from payments across all rails, carded or non-carded. We do look at uh, global uh, investments. Actually, more than half of our investments are outside of North America. 
Uh, so we're pretty broad and really wherever Visa is or wherever we can be helpful in supporting commercial or strategic initiatives. Very, very cool. I, I feel uh, I feel bad for all everybody on the show today. I joked before the uh, the kickoff of this one, but everybody's DMs are going to be going crazy, I think, at the end of this one in terms of uh, what, what people are looking for and what the uh, the size of those are. But uh, we'll come to that more as we, as we go through it. But great to have you on. Uh, we're also joined by Sasha Pilch, who is the principal at Fin Capital. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for having me. No worries, Cool. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Fin Capital. Sure. So um, at Fin Capital, we only invest in B two B fintech companies. We are full life cycle investors, so we have a seed fund, an early stage venture fund, Series A, Series B entry points, and a growth equity fund. We are a team of ex operators. So, for example, before moving to Fin, I worked for large banks in Sydney, Australia, where I'm from, Westpac and CBA, and lived in London and worked at City and Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, and then most recently in fintech, I was the first sales hire at Quovo, acquired by Plaid, worked at Plaid after the acquisition, um, then the first sales hire at Ramp and Pinwheel. Very cool. Uh, deeply empathetic to the problems that the industry faces then from every angle, eh? Exactly. Very, very cool. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, last but very much uh, not by uh, by lease there, we've got Vivek Krishnamurthy, who is the principal over at Commerce Ventures. Uh, welcome to the show, Vivek. How's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me on. No worries at all. Uh, tell everybody a little bit more about Commerce Ventures. Happy to do it. So, uh, we're an early stage venture capital fund. We're based in San Francisco. We're around 10 years old. Uh, we've invested in 100 companies. I'd say, uh, much like Sasha, 90% of what we do sits in the kind of uh, B2B or we'll call it software data payments layer of financial services rather than pure play financial services. Um, we are uh, excited about anything that moves inside of fintech. So think payments, banking, lending, insurance, wealth, uh, and kind of uniquely where those categories ble- bleed into retail. So where you as a consumer spend that dollar or make decisions about your financial life. Um, so we, we, we make investments in the companies that are kind of an idea and a presentation uh, all the way through maybe you know, 50 to 70 employees at the Series B. Very cool. I love the focus on B2B from everybody as well. It's where the uh, it's where the really sexy stuff's happening, right? It's uh, whether it's uh, services or software, there's a huge amount of disruption that's happening in that space. So, and we'll get into that, uh, no doubt, in a little bit more in, in a second as well. Uh, before we do dive in, uh, just a, a quick reminder, listeners, the views and opinions of the panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they represent. As always, nothing we say should be taken as tax or financial or legal advice. Basically, we're telling you to do your own research. And with that uh, sobering note, we probably should get on with the show, shouldn't we? So uh, uh, if we get into it, I mean, David, maybe starting with you, what is the the role that Visa really takes in that funding landscape? I mean, you, you talked a little bit earlier on around you guys do a, a lot of different things and you you do it in a lot of different places, right? But, but what's the sort of interest particularly in this space? Uh, and actually, how does ventures really tie into you know, Visa's overall strategy? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a great question. I mean, for context, we'll do hundreds of commercial partnerships a year. And as I said, we'll do sort of 10 to 12 or 15 uh, equity investments a year. And so what, what really distinguishes those two, right? And, and so part of it is actually working with great colleagues in the financial VC ecosystem, right? Like Sasha and Vivek and, and their firms. But we don't lead or price rounds, right? We don't write huge checks either. So typical investment for us is sort of, you know, a couple million bucks, call it three to five million. We usually invest around series B or C or or what I'd call a late A, right? An A that really has some revenue, not just revenue sold to companies owned by relatives of the founder, but like really having proven that that there's some some traction out there. 
And then where there's an opportunity to work with that company to help and support what they're doing and where Visa can be a valuable partner for them. And so, you know, what does that look like? It's often a company that, you know, is active in the in the payments ecosystem somewhere. We also invest um, into B2B companies. We don't direct into B2C. And, and I think for context, I think everybody knows this, right? But Visa ultimately is a network. And so our view is really how can we enable all the fantastic uh, changes going on and developments going on in the payments ecosystem, how can we enable those to move faster or better? We try not to sort of pick favorites or pick winners. We want to support the growth of the network because we really believe that that will enable people globally to be more engaged, more part of the modern financial system, which comes at lower cost, better flexibility, better terms, a lot of that stuff. So we, uh, we work with a lot of companies, just like NABC. We talk to a lot more companies than we make investments into. But we're looking for ones where Visa can really be helpful to that company as it gets going. And last thing I would say, like everybody knows Visa as a payments company. There's also a lot of services alongside payments. So think about fraud or disputes or B2B reconciliation, all these kinds of things, FX, right, that fit for an exchange that fit in and around the actual delivery of a payment domestically or internationally. So it's a pretty wide canvas, and we're fortunate we get to talk to a lot of great entrepreneurs and work with a lot of great partners. Yeah, and I, and I guess working alongside your customers as well. I mean, uh, I know Charlotte's team in the uh, in the UK. You know, you work with your customers to help build next generation capability as well, right? So it's a uh, uh, as you say, you know, the the services around payments and uh, and issuance is is much more significant than it ever has been in the past, isn't it? And that that I, I guess gives you an interesting sort of. Uh, iron in every fire to a certain degree when it comes to you know B2C, B2B. But, but equally, I, I guess the services and the added value services that you can actually provide to your customers. Exactly. And we're, again, we're, we're taking small stakes, right? So this is not M&A, right? But, but we're really thinking about how can Visa be helpful? How can we be part of interesting conversations too? You know, like I think there's a lot going on around Gen AI. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Like how can we be part of the interesting conversations there? and see where we can be helpful. You know, I, I guess I, I, I didn't share a whole lot about my background. I've spent a lot of time in startups, building companies, and then funding them and acquiring them in my past too. And, you know, when I go back to thinking about when I was at a startup, like the most critical resource we had was what we spent our engineering and dev time on. And it was always really frustrating that we spent a lot of time building something and then we find out that that existed and was already proven at scale elsewhere. And so what we try to do at Visa, my team works very closely with our partnerships team, is we just try to make sure people understand what exists that they can use off the shelf instead of having to build, you know, spend their development time on things that may exist already and that are not going to differentiate them. So obviously work super closely with product and partnerships, as you mentioned. Yeah, connecting those dots is important, isn't it? It's, um, and, and obviously, I mean, one of the, the major shifting points in that landscape isn't just what other people are doing, but the, the landscape itself. Uh, I mean, Sasha, Vivek, sort of bringing you into this, it's, it's like, uh, I mean, the market's a bit weird, isn't it, really? Like we've seen, uh, uh, you know, off the back of, you know, year after year of, of record investment around the world in, in financial services or, you know, fintech more broadly and the, the competitive landscape exploding, we're, we're sort of in a different point in the cycle a little bit now, aren't we? And uh, I don't know, Sasha, do you want to start us with a, how are you guys seeing the market? Is it a, uh, is it a changing one or have we sort of found a, a 
at least a little bit of stability. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed if you compare to how things were happening, you know, over 12 months ago. As I mentioned before, I was an operator before joining in capital. So um, I missed the days of those crazy high valuations that didn't really make sense. Um, so I'm glad that I came into venture at a time when things were normalizing. FinCapital has always um, invested only in B2B fintech companies. So there definitely has been a shift in the market with VCs who traditionally invested in direct consumer or did both um, and now heavily focusing on B2B fintech. Um, but it was actually one of the reasons I jo chose to join Fin, having worked at B2B fintech companies myself. That's really my personal investment thesis and so fin made sense for me very cool and and as you say the the market itself I, I guess you know we saw record valuations we've seen a lot of you know quite tough rounds for for people sort of keeping in the market uh cat you know capital is one sort of strand of making organizations successful but the the market itself is quite a complex one isn't it so we're uh, bizarrely i mean maybe about 12 months ago we saw mega rounds that people were doing really trying to sort of weather the next two years uh, capital-wise, which, uh, I mean, there's only so many bit, uh, tins of beans you can put in the uh, the cupboard when you're trying to uh, sort of weather the storm a little bit, aren't you? But uh, Vivek, are, are you guys seeing a similar thing? Is this, uh, is this a, a very different period of time than two years or even uh, even longer ago? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be even more unhelpful and say yes and no. Um, you know, I, I started, you know, working in around fintech in the like fundraising startup ecosystem about 10 years ago. And interestingly, one of my first clients uh, was, was Marketa. It went back in the banking days. And for folks who are familiar with that story, that business was underloved and underappreciated for about four or five years. I think they were doing less than two or three million a run rate for the first kind of chunk of their journey. And candidly, they didn't really get catalyzed until closer to that round that Visa invested. I think it was in 2016 or so. And back then, I, you, you talked to Jason and folks close to that business. I mean, they'd be hawking their solution to any investor who would listen, and people didn't know what an issuer processor was. And, and now there are seven of them. Uh, two of them are, or one of them is publicly traded, and the other one's kind of, you know, 10-figure exit. Uh, so th in that way, the world has changed materially. I think there's a familiarity with the category. And it's interesting, I, I didn't even realize this when I started speaking, but if you think of that kind of that catalytic, you know, moment where Marketa started to, to really grow and that part of fintech infrastructure started to get understood a little better, the other interesting bookend is probably like Visa's attempted acquisition of Plaid, right? There was a moment in time in mid-21 where people realized that actually, you know, to Sasha's point, if you build technology, you can actually justify implied revenue multiples that are dramatically higher then you could justify building kind of lending businesses. And it brought on, at least for our opinion, you know, our, our fund's been doing, you know, B2B for, again, this is year 10. I would say in 21, it totally changed. Our portfolio companies went from underloved, underappreciated. People thought that 300% revenue growth was too slow and 70% margins means you're being inefficient to suddenly these were the most interesting companies in the entire world. You know, people were flying to Salt Lake City to meet, you know, MX. Uh, after, you know, the, the company took about four or five years between the A and the B, and suddenly they were able to raise a B and a C and a D in short order. I think in that way, the world changed dramatically. Uh, and unlike Sasha, I did not have the privilege of sitting out uh, 21 and 22. Uh, so we, we, we definitely kind of soldiered through that. I think what we're seeing now is, you know, I think some folks are, exp 
you know, there's a temptation to say like the category is dead or things have slowed down all the way. The way I think about it is imagine being in a car going 150 miles per hour on a, on a highway uh, and then slowing down to 60. It feels like you've totally pumped the brakes and you're not moving at all. Candidly, this market environment reminds me a lot of 2017, maybe early 2016. So a meaningful step back for sure, um, but it's still kind of progressing and we're seeing deals get done and they're interesting businesses with interesting founders. Yeah, I mean, it feels like we're at a, a point in a cycle, doesn't it? You know, and actually, I mean, the, the obviously the the very early uh, you know changes that we saw with fintech happened with payments, then they happened in retail, then it was SME, and then that Scooby Doo moment, as you say, the the sort of taking the mask off, and actually the real threat wasn't to the banks themselves; it was to big incumbent B two B players who haven't kept up with the times, and that that for me is almost the the most amazing point that we're in right now is that the the users, the buyers of these things, and I don't mean the uh, who, who acquires the companies, but who uses their services, are actually the banks themselves and solving like major strategic problems in those organizations where they're spending billions and billions of pounds on core infrastructure or, you know, the overview of architecture or how they integrate payments or identity. And it's and that's the fascinating thing, is it it feels like the um the opportunity to solve real problems are, are really there. And bizarrely the the major pain point for most of these B2B players is uh, educating procurement departments on uh, really what it is that they're selling to a certain degree. But that's that's where actually I mean Sasha to your, uh, you know, Rosetta Stone, you can day walk and talk to bankers about, you know, how banking is done and how hard that is and be empathetic, but but also be on the other side of that and actually see those opportunities. I mean, that that must be a real advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we definitely lean into fintech companies that are either a vendor to large financial institutions, whether that be banks, asset managers, insurance companies, um, or can use them as a distribution network. Um, and one really interesting start is that for the first time in history, last year, um, banks spent more on external fintech vendors than building internally themselves. So that mindset of fintech companies being a threat is really no longer the case. And banks are realizing that buy versus build makes sense, especially when these fintech companies are so nimble and not built on the legacy systems that banks are, which you know, holds up their innovation. That That is an interesting shift. I've definitely heard that as well. I mean, I've also heard every IT department everywhere in every bank go, I could build that as well. But but I think the, the reality, having seen some of them stand back and try and build a core banking system or whatever, uh, you might be able to build it, but do you have the capability to run it? Uh, and actually, you know, whether it is Plaid or whether it is, uh, you know, any, you know, big B2B fintech player, like they don't stand still for a second, like that backlog of activity and their ability to listen to the market and change. That's what really differentiates them, right? So, uh, but I mean, David, like, yeah, I mean, you must have no shortage of people sort of knocking on the door for advice or, you know, uh, I've got a great idea. Uh, I've, have you a couple of million pounds to to allow me to? But but I, I guess in this market, the the dynamic of relationship between 
you know, the players who are looking for for capital and uh, access to, you know, your customer base and, and the sort of relationship you need to build. I mean, that must be a, a very different one from just uh, saying no, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. I mean, as I said, most of our investments sort of have a commercial tie-in in some way, shape or form, or they're in a, they're companies in a space that we see as being extremely strategically important, right? Like think cross-border commerce or identity or some more fraud or some of these, right? So, you know, I, I, I guess I would say we're, you know, I get a question often of like, hey, has stuff, you know, has investing really slammed on the brakes? And, and really for us at Visa Ventures, it's been very consistent, right? Because they're still fantastic companies. Um, you know, we can come back to the valuation thing. And I've, I've actually got a question for Sasha and Vivek on that because I'm curious for their take on it. But there's no shortage of people who are innovating interesting things. And I think it's really important to keep like the valuation environment separate from like the innovation environment. They're obviously closely related because they have to do with like what's the value of a company. But I, I think innovation is is actually pretty constant over time. How the market values that innovation um, is not as we've seen in the last, you know, I've, I've been through a couple of these cycles and everybody always thinks it's going to be different. You know, I'll say candidly, I thought it was going to, the, the, the overinflations were going to end earlier than they did. And I think we're still in a little bit of unsettled period, but I guess I'm, I'm curious with Vec and Sasha, you know, my impression is that there's a very different dynamic going on at different stages of company, right? So early stage companies, maybe they were getting valued at a, you know, 60 million for a series A, and now that's a 30 or a 40. I think a lot of the pain has come in a late stage company valuations, right? Companies that got valued at a hundred times revenue, you know, raised money at a $5 billion pre-money, you know, raised $300 million at that valuation. And now they've really got some work to do. I mean, I, I think we've seen, you know, I've even seen some of the materials from, from you both, right? That like some of the later stage companies are, you know, when they do around, it's down 40 to 50% or so. But my impression is that's not as pronounced on the early stage side. I don't know if that's Sasha, what, what are you both seeing? I agree with that. One thing that has kind of sheltered Finn from this is we have always focused on what um, our founder and managing general partner, Logan Allen, deems as boring fintech. He actually got T-shirts made for us that say, I heart boring fintech. <laughs> um, so considering that we weren't, chasing those frothy deals that had the high, like very inflated valuations, we were quite protected from um, a lot of that hype. We have definitely seen a lot more activity um, in the seed and early stage compared to growth, as you would expect. The the best growth companies are are holding out for the market to recover. Yeah, I, I think I think David, you bring up a really good point, which is I think it has to do with almost the founding date of your company. I think that's what we've seen. I think there was, I forget what the number is, but several billion, I I'd guess $10 billion of venture capital that showed up in like a five to seven year period. And that capital turned out to be the cheapest capital in the history of venture capital financing ever. And so anyone who ever dreamed of maybe starting a company one day, it was it drew them out, right? If you were sitting inside of Lyft as a payments PM, you're like, well, I can get a promotion or own 70% of a company worth $50 million tomorrow. And so what it did is it actually brought out all these people, even people who would have never originally thought to innovate in fintech. And I honestly think that like as a like a longtime fintech nerd, while 21 was to David's a miserable valuation, like the geek in me came alive. Every 
infrastructure project I had ever wanted to see tackled, right? Ledgering as a surface, next generation banking cores, like all this stuff like showed up. The challenge now is that like it, people are already building everything or a large portion of things and they're trapped at incredibly high valuations. At the early stages, you have the luxury of controlling your burn, right? It's five people in a basement somewhere and they raise a $9 million seed round. Burn is 20 grand a month, maybe, right? So you're just not going to see them come back out to the market until they grow under their valuation. They have the luxury of being able to do that. At the series B and onwards, you just don't have that same luxury because you've hired 100 people and you can only, you know, cut so many people so many times before, uh, you know, Yahoo News has a bulletin with your face on it. And so as a result, you know, those folks are facing the pain. And so we're seeing this like interesting lull, right? We're seeing, you know, fewer companies come out to raise true seeds because a lot of people already started those businesses. Those seeds are not coming up for A's because they have a lot of money. And the folks at the B are desperately trying not to come out. Uh, those who are coming out are the ones who often can't get their insiders to true them up, right? So I can speak for our portfolio, all the series B's that we're excited about, we're banging on doors, trying to deploy more capital because there's actually not that much net new activity uh, at the seed or the A that we're very excited about. And, and is that is that sort of focus driving different behavior within those organizations in themselves? Because obviously, I mean, at the point where, uh, at the point where you've got... Uh, I don't want to say more money than cents, but you you would be even more money than you could ever wildly a dream for the idea and like 15 PowerPoint slides. You know what I mean? It's like the the P words now is probably, you know, profitability is probably way more important on everybody's agenda than, than it ever has been. So are we, is that rationalization actually, I mean, actually arguably a good thing, you know, like because the, the point that we're in, you know, we're seeing fintechs being acquired, you know, not just by, uh, you know, other fintechs or, but by banks, you know, we're seeing different sort of, I guess like in any ecosystem, the the sort of dominant hierarchy sort of shakes out over a period of time, doesn't it? But we're seeing, we're definitely in a point of consolidation, but also maybe rationalization of what's most important. It's not just about, you know, how big can we get? And then let's figure out what revenue looks like. It's like, actually, you know, revenue and profitability probably it comes a lot earlier on people's cycle than it ever would have done before. But uh, I mean, David, Sasha, Vivek, are you are you seeing a change in the the tune of CEOs running these businesses? Yeah, I would definitely say like the later stage companies are focused on reducing burn where they can, and there is definitely a lot of buying power with the larger financial incumbents that could acquire companies. I would say though that at least at Finn, we haven't been in a complete lull. Um, so we are still very much making investments. We were actually named by FT Partners as the most active fintech investor globally. Um, so definitely still deploying capital. Yeah, the one the one thing I would add is that um, I think there's a little bit of a misconception that the last few years were just the Wild West for startups exclusively. I think what we've noticed is that it was actually the same for banks and large enterprises as well. And this sh rationality that we're seeing, right, whether it's you're a super regional bank, you have large peers like SVB and Signature and others that have collapsed. Like there is a sobriety that I think have entered both sides of the equation. And I think that there was a portion of time, maybe in the last five to seven years, where if you were a bank, the thought was like, well, I could work with other folks, but I also have this free capital that I can kind of deploy out into the universe. 
Um, and now what we're seeing is across the board as public market investors really hunt for profitability and kind of robust, you know, we'll call it like unit economics, even at scales with large enterprises, we're actually seeing financial institutions put more effort into improving their margin. And at some point, the only way you can do that is by investing in technology. And so we're seeing the IT spend from large companies into fintech go up, which is really interesting. And certainly that, that's helping bolster kind of sales with, uh, or certainly sales momentum with fintechs. Um, unquestionably, those fintech CEOs, I think before 2021, I don't think I'd ever heard of a series C or before company uh, talk to me about profitability in a, in a first pitch. And I don't think we have seen a series A or a series B deal where the round you're raising doesn't at least explicitly say it's funding a path to break even. And I don't think that's a terrible thing. Uh, like it's nice to know that people are building companies uh, that, that'll endure for more than 18 months. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That point around the sobriety of seeing your peers' demise. You know, I mean, there's a and actually to the to the banks as well. I mean, actually seeing being faced with your own mortality is usually a, a an interesting way of. Uh, it's like the people who never give up smoking until they absolutely have to. You know, I mean, it's like there's a there's a change in mentality there. That's uh, that's important. So I I actually think like if you look historically, it's not like we're at a lull in valuations or startups, right? Like it's a little bit like you know, putting me on a, you know, hundred yard dash against Usain Bolt, right? Like I may be quick, but compared to him, you know, why bother? Right. And and so I actually think it's more rational. And and I think, you know, having worked in startups and been part of the CRW ecosystem, I think most founders and executive teams are actually pretty rational about what's going on, right? It was incredibly rational to Vivek's point to raise a crap ton of money at the valuations you could a couple of years ago. And then go like try a bunch of stuff, right? And maybe you would even get acquired or you'd be able to go public or de-SPAC um, before you really needed to prove a lot of that. And like that, that's pretty rational all the way through. I think similarly, we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs and, and management teams being rational now, right? So what, is that, what does it mean to be a rational founder and board and management team right now? It means being really thoughtful about where you place your bets. It means maybe not just talking to one potential customer who gets excited and say, hey, yeah, we found product market fit. Maybe it means let's go really do a couple of paid pilots and see. So I, I think what we're seeing is the really rational founders out there, and they've already adjusted to the new environment, right? If they haven't, game over, right? But but most of them have, I think. And we're seeing, you know, the companies that come in to talk to us are really being very thoughtful about what they do. Like, do I have a real differentiation? Am I, you know, what am I doing that really provides massive value for my client base? Um, and back to the point on banks, like I think a lot of banks were, you know, kind of concerned the previous couple of years because it felt like everything was moving too fast and they were getting passed by. I think a lot of the changes within banks is they've become more tech forward because they realize they have to be. And hey, can, coincidentally, right now, it's actually a pretty good time to be either looking to acquire or looking to do a good deal with the startups again to prove those proof points. So I actually think it's a, I mean, I'm an optimist by nature. I obviously think it's a great time to be building and innovating. And I think what we're seeing is people are doing more of the testing before they go out and try to raise a big round, which again, I think is rational. No, I completely agree. I mean, like when we say point in a cycle, you need all of the the you know the stars and the moon to align on these things, don't you? And actually, you know, back to the point earlier on on B two B, then actually, you know, absolutely, we're seeing big banks facing into really big structural issues. It's just the people that they're now turning to are not, uh, you know, the the uh, the adage of like nobody gets fired for 
you know, using IBM or, you know, insert any other name here. Actually, that's shifted, right? You know, you've got uh, JP Morgan coming out and making a massive announcement around using Thought Machine as their, you know, core infrastructure capability across the entirety of their estate. Can you imagine that 10 years ago? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, the the Oracles, the SAPs, the Temenoses would have had that locked up way beyond. So, you know, building a product and having the market ready to consume it, it's uh, Michael J. Fox at the end of Back to the Future, right? You know, the 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 you know, you don't, you might not like this, but your kids will love it type vibe. But like it, I feel like fintech have just found that that perfect point in B2B where they've got their products to the the right level that really people can actually consume them and at scale, which is, uh, which is amazing. I, I guess, um, you know, when we sort of look at ahead, you know, you guys get your crystal balls out here a little bit in terms of uh, what you think is going to happen, other than everybody using generative AI as a way of inflating their uh, their valuation and and all the crazy things that go with that. But uh, what do you think the next six months or so uh, holds for us? Uh, Sasha, maybe starting with you, are we going to see a, a rationalization in the market? Are we going to see a slowdown? Are we going to see things getting back to the, the good old days? What do, where do you think we're going to get to? I think what's already happening and what will continue to happen is fintech companies that are selling to other fintech companies will not be as popular and fintech companies that are selling to banks or large corporates where they can do big acv contracts with you know a lot of arr is where the winners are going to be so um, that's definitely where we're focusing on and my personal focus to having a background in sales. That makes sense because actually, I mean, the, the people partaking in that then can actually influence the outcome as well, right? That I, I always, uh, it's always good to back on something you can influence the outcome of, right? In that sense. So big organizations using those products to then scale them out effectively is, you know, it's a great strategy. But Vivek, what do you reckon? Uh, what's the next six months looking at? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we're keeping in mind is that venture capital in funds need startups just as much as startups need venture capital funds. So uh, we think that there is a mutual interest in this dam breaking. And just because of capital timing and when people raise rounds, we suspect the end of this year, whether it's kind of Q4 of this year and Q1 of next year or Q3 and Q4, we think that the funding pace will go up substantially as just prices start to normalize. Um, and I think there's a, the bid ask spread goes down. I think in the longer term, when I think about when prices start to go back up or things start to feel a little bit like they did, maybe never again in 21, but in 2018 or 19, something like that, I think we've all learned maybe the hard way that you know early stage rounds, mid-stage rounds are entirely correlated to what the public market does, right? So if your closest comp is trading at five times, you're probably not going to get much better than 15 or 20. And so our perspective is as rates start to go down, maybe in 24, flatten or go down in 24, you'll see kind of multiples in the public market for publicly traded fintechs go up, which would open the IPO door towards the end of last year, end of next year, excuse me, and then relieve a lot of the pressure and the pricing pressure on early stage companies. So we think the pricing paradigm is likely going to stay the same for about a year-ish, um, but the deal pace should increase by the, by the end of the year. And as far as kind of which parts of fintech, I, I think Sasha kind of nailed it. Uh, you know, if you're capital intense, it's not a good time. If you're selling to other fintechs, it's not a great time. Um, I would say that the challenge that we've seen is if you're selling to large enterprises, so you're a fraud solution selling to banks or you're a kind of next generation banking core, um, people are certainly excited about what you're doing. But one of the challenges is it's impossible to just manifest revenue 
over three months or four month periods of time, right? So there's this gonna be this real pricing dislocation. People are gonna wanna invest in those businesses. I think the ones that are growing 300% will get valued extremely high because they're gonna be in the top kind of two, 3% of companies and everyone else will get a very rational price. 100% on that one. Uh, yeah, you're selling big enterprise B2B. You got to kiss a lot of frogs on that stuff for sure to uh, to get to where you want to get to. And that's, uh, it's a hard one when, uh, you know, six months, you know, core banking system, six months to 12 months sales cycle isn't unheard of, right? So uh, David, maybe last word with you because uh, we're rapidly running out of time. I feel like we should do this one monthly just to check in. Again, none of this is investment advice, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it changes every month, right? That's what's part of the fun of it. So look, I guess, you know, I, I think I think there's still going to be some pain and, 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 you know, I've been anticipating for a while. I think, you know, before too long, maybe in the next quarter or two, we'll have like the Forbes or the Fortune art, you know, article that says, what's well, fintech all a hoax, right? Because there will be some big names that will fail there already have been and again having been through some of these cycles like that that that's what happens um but like you asked me what i'm excited about i'm excited every day honestly like the people that i talk to the companies that they are building the real problems they are solving and and you know again back to my earlier point like i think we're now in an environment where like the problems that people are building companies to solve are real problems. They're not hypothetical problems. They're not problems that look good in a, you know, gen AI created PowerPoint deck, right? They're real problems that real businesses are dealing with. Um, and I know it's easy to make fun of gen AI, but I actually think there's going to be a lot that comes downstream. You know, we could probably talk for another hour just about that, but I think it's going to be a little bit slower to take off in regulated industries like much of finance is. Um, but I think in some ways, what's really intriguing about that is, is Gen AI is essentially lowering the barrier to participate in highly specialized knowledge to the point where anybody who can type or speak can in some way engage with that. Now, hallucinations are real. Uh, that's a funny sentence, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, the hallucinations are a real problem with Gen AI. But, you know, th there's a lot that that is going to unlock in terms of people who do not have access to specialized information, they'll be able to get it. So we're, we're extremely bullish on that. And then I know this is sort of focused on the US, but like globally, there's just so much interesting that happens, right? Like we announced a week or two ago that, you know, we're kicking off a fintech uh, accelerator for sub-Saharan Africa. That's an area, I mean, payment infrastructure is totally different. So yeah, I mean, like, what am I excited about? Everything. And I think we're at a really interesting time for founders, for investors, uh, for corporates, for everybody to try to, you know, help help figure out what might be next and then be a part of building it. So it's super exciting. And, you know, it's we've got several co-investments with um, Sasha and Vivek both. And it, it's, you know, really appreciate you both coming on the, the program. It's uh, it's a terrific time to be doing this and uh, look forward to seeing what what we all create and all the all the neat people and companies we get to meet along the way. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got a saying at 11FS that digital banking is only 1% finished. And, and very much if you sort of take that mantra forward, the the opportunities ahead of us are, are way greater, way more impactful than than anything we've done before, right? So I, I really do echo your point as well. I mean, there's a there's often a, a focus on features, but uh, you know, is it a is it a fully formed product? Is it a is it a fully rounded business? And actually, you know, in this period of consolidation, I always think, you know, I mean, some people are going to get some absolute bargains in this period of time where uh, you know the getting's good in that sense. But uh, out of the last crisis, we saw all of the change that we've seen, and that wave has been amazing. And you know, out of this one, we're going to see amazing things happen as well, aren't we? So uh, on that note, uh, do you know what? I reckon we're going to get you back in like uh, a year's time, and if uh, 
uh, there seems there needs to be some sort of punishment if you're you're uh, maybe we'll tie your bonuses to whether the uh, the predictions <laughs> are right or not. Maybe not. Maybe not. That's taking yeah, we're, it too far. We're, we're venture capitalists. We don't like accountability. So you've scared all of us away <laughs> already. Hey, best betting is spread betting, right? So, uh, but uh, all right. On that note, this does wrap up this edition of FinTech Insider in Focus in association with our friends at Visa. Thank you so much for the panel. Where can people learn a little bit more about you and your companies? Uh, Sasha, starting with you. Yeah, so um, fin.capital is our website and you can find me on LinkedIn. I also run an organization called NYC Fintech Women. It's now national across the US. We have 10,000 members. Um, So just as a personal passion of mine, if there are any female B2B fintech founders, um, I would love to speak with you. So please reach out. Very, very cool. Vivek, where can people learn more? We're at uh, commerce.vc. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, on on Twitter. Um, and uh, and yeah, if you're going after a trillion dollars of IT spend in, in fintech and, and commerce, we'd, we'd love to chat with you. Good. Uh, David, where can people learn more? I'm on LinkedIn, and that's uh, that's usually the best best way to reach me. Look forward to hearing from folks. Very cool. Uh, I'm similarly lurking on LinkedIn predominantly these days. You can find me over there. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show as well. For more on this discussion, look out for the next part of FinTech Insider Focus in two weeks' time. But thank you very much for listening today. Goodbye. Thank you.